for over 30 years. Madison, as Martineau put it, reposed cheerfully, gaily, on his faith in the people's power of wise self-government. He had a concern of his own about the state of the nation, however, and that was slavery. Like Carroll, Madison was a planter and a slave owner. He had grown up with the institution, knew its evils from the inside, and discussed them frankly with Martineau. Slavery kept owners in a state of perpetual fear. It degraded slaves' minds, even when it did not brutalize them physically. He cited promiscuity and cruelty to animals as bad habits encouraged by lives of bondage. How could the country free itself of the evil? Ideally, Madison believed, slaves should be freed, though he had not freed his own. But where then could they go? Free states did not want them. Many had stringent laws to keep out black immigrants. Canada, he thought, was too cold for them. Maybe they could be sent back to Africa. Martineau thought that scheme was fantastic. American slaves were Americans. They would not want to leave. Where slavery was concerned, the last of the founders owned himself to be almost in despair. In 1836, Madison died. If the dying founders were anxious about their legacy, their heirs were no less troubled to see them go. Fathers should die before their children. It is the order of nature. But then responsibility and anxiety shift to new shoulders. In January 1838, Abraham Lincoln gave a speech to the Young Men's Lyceum of Springfield, Illinois, on the perpetuation of our political institutions. His speech was both a farewell to the Founding Fathers and a somewhat fearful look ahead. Lincoln himself was a young man as he delivered it. He would turn twenty-nine in two weeks. No curious foreigner interviewed him. His remarks were printed in the Sangamo Journal, a local newspaper. Illinois was the West that Carroll had spoken of to Tocqueville, almost the frontier of American civilization. Northwestern Illinois had been the scene of an Indian war only six years earlier. Lincoln had served in it. No one would ever mistake Lincoln for an English aristocrat. He was the son of a subsistence farmer and carpenter, and his own property consisted mostly of debts. He had spent his early twenties bouncing from job to job, riverboatman, clerk, storekeeper, postmaster, surveyor, until he settled on politics and law, getting himself elected to the state legislature and becoming the law partner of an older officeholder. Socially, he belonged to the democratic mass, and the life he had chosen to pursue was climbing the ladders of democratic politics and litigation. Lincoln was an autodidact. All his schooling amounted to no more than a year in one-room schoolhouses, and he gave an autodidact speech to the young men's lyceum, well-planned but stiff and a little fancy, like a brand-new suit. One phrase foreshadowed the Lincoln to come. In his peroration, he said of the Founding Fathers, What invading foemen could never do, the silent artillery of time has done.
they are gone. Lincoln's artillery metaphor had the force and paradox of great poetry. Artillery is the loudest thing on a battlefield, as it is the most destructive. But the deadliest artillery of all is noiseless, quieter even than the ticking of a watch. Lincoln's metaphor also had the music of great poetry. It was a three-word variation on the letters I and T, silent, a long I, trailed by a soft final T, artillery, a sharp T, followed immediately by a short I, time, the monosyllable, a sharp T with a long moaning I. The music underscored the image, silent, ready, artillery, aim, Time, fire, direct hit. For the rest...